Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, of course, and it is March 29th, 2019. It's a break sprung degrees, 70 glorious degrees in New York tomorrow. And I hope wherever you are, the weather is well and you are doing well also. Um, I'm glad you're joining me. You know, those of you who are familiar with my program, know that uh, I've been doing this, uh, going out there and trying to provide my perspectives to as many people as possible ever since the terror attacks of September 11, 2001. Uh, There are many Americans today uh, who are coming of age for whom 9-11 is something that they didn't really experience. Either they hadn't yet been born or were so young that it had little, if any, impact on their immediate lives. But to those of us who lived through 9-11, especially those of us in New York, uh, because it wasn't just America that was attacked on that terrible day. It was my hometown. I'm a native New Yorker, went to Brooklyn College. I'm Brooklyn through and through, still live in Brooklyn. So it was my country and it was my hometown that was devastated by terror attacks. And it wasn't the first time it happened. And the same vulnerabilities that permitted prior attacks Uh, were again exploited by the terrorists who created such havoc, such devastation on our country. And guess what? It continues to happen. The vulnerabilities are still there. Thankfully, we haven't seen a mass casualty attack as we saw on 9-11, which, by the way, was the largest terror attack ever carried out on U.S. soil. But goodness, Every single life that is lost to a criminal, to a terrorist, is a tragedy. Uh, I hate to quote tyrants, but Stalin had very uh, wisely said, I hate to say wise because uh, everything about him um, sickens me, but he said that a million deaths was a statistic, a single death is a tragedy. That's correct. When we look at large numbers of people who were killed, whether it's because of terrorism, whether it's because of the drug trade, whether it's because of criminal activities, we get caught up in the numbers. It's a statistic. It's a box score. You know, who won the game? Who lost the game? I can tell you that Americans are losing the game. Innocent victims are losing the game. Decent people living in immigrant communities are losing the game. And the game isn't being won or lost by by, uh, the people that really are, are behind it. The people really are pushing the buttons and pulling the strings with our politicians through massive campaign contributions want open borders. They are globalists. No matter how much money they have, we're talking now about billionaires. They still don't have enough. I compare them to a malignancy. Cancer has an insatiable appetite for nutrients. Cancerous tissue frequently secretes hormones that causes the body to envelop the tumor with a network of blood vessels so that the tumor bathes in nutrients and starves off the healthy tissue. Um, The people that are so driven for globalism at any and all costs, including human lives and human suffering, are not unlike the cancerous tumor. Cancer is mindless. 
And what cancer is incapable of doing is to think about the ultimate consequences of its destruction on its victim. But be certain of one thing. When cancer kills the patient, kills its victim, it dies with it. The person who dies from cancer, the the cancer dies when the person dies. The people that are behind pushing open borders and permitting, therefore, the flood of drugs, terrorists, and criminals, and foreign workers who drive down the wages of Americans and displace Americans, which is what much of this is motivated by, they should be smart enough and, God willing, decent enough, but of course we're not seeing that, so that they would look at what is involved and understand the immorality of this madness and say, you know, we've got to stop this. We have to stop this. It's ironic that we hear about the DREAM Act, but for most Americans, there is no longer an American dream. The American dream was about building a middle class. So it was about the idea that anybody willing to work hard, and study hard, and benefit from a little bit of good old-fashioned luck could write the next great American success story. The American dream was inextricably linked to a vibrant, upwardly mobile middle class, a middle class that is under attack by design by those who really and truly only conjugate verbs in the first person singular. They think about themselves first, second, and third. Me, myself, and I are the three most important people that they know. And nobody is in second place for these bums. That's how we got into this mess. You know, I, I, I've been doing this program trying to wake up people. And the problem that we have is that the media, which used to invite people like myself with real-world immigration experience on frequently. You know, after 9-11, I was averaging 15 to 20 television interviews, MSNBC, Fox, ABC, CNN, you name it. The phone would ring off the hook. I'd be shuttling back and forth between TV stations, sometimes appearing multiple times on networks such as MSNBC. I remember one day doing five appearances on MSNBC, and between those five appearances, running back and forth to CNN and Fox News. They no longer have people on those networks with real-world immigration experience. And that's why I do this program. There's got to be a way of providing the information. Now, there are networks that do uh, invite me. I'm grateful to them. Fox still that was on a couple of weeks ago um, on Fox and Friends first at the ungodly hour of 4.15 a.m. East Coast time. I can figure out very early or very late at that time. MSNBC missing action. Yesterday uh, I was on American News Network. They have on their programs. Uh, 24 News. Um, NRA TV. They're, they're always happy to have We'll even do Skype, which makes it convenient. Filling a vacuum. I, I, I've written about how the media is going to Back in college, I got my degree in communications, arts, and sciences. I call it my BA in BS, okay? But the whole point is to be an effective communicator. But what I'm communicating isn't conjecture. Most people who come on TV today in the mainstream media to talk about immigration have zero immigration experience. I mean, think about who comes on. If there's a program about the space program, there's no shortage of rocket scientists, literally. No shortage of former astronauts. If the story is about a homicide, they'll bring in a retired homicide detective. If there's a kidnapping, they'll bring in an FBI profiler. If it's about the military, there's no shortage of generals, admirals, commandos, you name the experts, and by God, they're there. 
But when the topic turns to immigration, I want you to think about it the next time you're watching your news, wherever you're watching. Immigration is the area of discussion, and who do they bring in? Political consultants. I'd love to know what the prerequisite is to be a political consultant. We know what training doctors go through. We know what training law enforcement officers go through and people in the military. What training do you have to be a political consultant? The pollsters. I love the pollsters. You can manipulate the questions that you ask to get almost any result you want out of a survey. Think about that. You know, you give people that I'll give you an example. I remember taking a survey a couple of years ago. I was traveling to do a speaking engagement, which I do frequently around the United States. And I took a survey sitting in my hotel room. I had my computer out and they asked to list the most serious or or to pick the most serious threat America was confronting. And they gave you about 10 choices, one of which was immigration, but it also included terrorism, unemployment, health care, education, a whole smorgasbord of topics. The problem was you could only pick one. It wasn't put them in the order of importance. Pick one. Well, if you wanted immigration, you're shutting out all the others. If you pick the economy, you're shutting out all the others. The reality is immigration has a profound impact on all the other categories of threats and problems that we're facing. And this is not to vilify immigrants. I want to be so clear about this. You know, people say to me, how in the world can you be a registered Democrat, which I have been ever since I started voting more decades ago than I want to remember? If you see a picture of me with all my white hair, I've been around for a while. But the bottom line is they say, well, how could you be a Democrat? I'm a labor guy. Plain and simple. There was a time when there was sanity in national politics. There was a clear delineation. If you wanted to pay for the most, I mean, and there were other, but fundamentally, Republicans were the, was the party of the, of the business owner. And business owners have legitimate concerns. Many businesses fail, <laughs> fail and succeed. If you look at the term, and even in the long term, how many established companies go down the tubes by mismanagement or incompetence or, or corruption by their own leaders? Or because the economy changes or industries change or technology changes. So I understand that being a business owner is challenging. But all too often, greedy people who have businesses want to make their money off the backs of the people who work for them. My dad was a construction worker. I'm going to tell you, my dad and my mother, who came ahead of the Holocaust as a 13-year-old girl, lived by herself in a rooming house and worked in an umbrella factory for $3 a week. My parents are my biggest heroes in the universe. I wouldn't be me if it wasn't for them. But my dad, as a construction worker, did a job that was more dangerous than my work as a federal agent. Construction is a very dangerous business. Many of my dad's friends had been injured. He had been injured on the job. Not unusual. He used to come home bruised and banged up when I was a kid. It made me cry as a little boy. I'll never forget it. He was a construction worker. He was a plumber by trade, as he would say, but he wasn't doing the repair work. He was the guy who worked on Kennedy Airport. He worked on the World's Fair. He would take me to work sometimes so I could get a sneak preview of the World's Fair. I I loved airplanes. I went to the airport with them. These guys, these construction workers, have courage that you can't begin to imagine. No job is too dirty, too backbreaking, too dangerous, too filthy. They're out there. Whether it's 100 degrees or zero degrees, they're out there happy to earn a paycheck. 
And there are very good employers who take care of their people and understand that there's a partnership there between themselves and the people who work for them. And there are employers who are dirtbags. Let's face it, we've all had bad bosses. I don't care if you own a business now. At some point, we all work for somebody. And more often than not, the employers weren't fair with their employees when they were, to their credit, wonderful. But the whole point was if you had to have the balance of, of the scales of, of, of what's proper, what's decent, what's moral, the Democratic Party used to stand up for the working American uh, family. And the, de- and the Republicans stood behind the, the, the people who had the businesses. The world made sense. The Democrats used to be the most ardent supporters of border security because they understood that if you flood America with foreign workers, you're going to drive down wages. You're going to displace American workers. You're going to hurt the economy. Now, the business owners, of course, want the cheapest labor possible. They want the cheapest everything possible. Today, corporations engage in a practice known as cost out. So they will employ brand new engineers to sit at a workbench and scrape bits of metal off of the, the, material, the, the items that they make, whether it's electronic components, whatever it is. How can we cut the cost? Because the more we cut the cost, the more we put more money into our pockets. It's about how do we save money to, to get that money. A penny saved is a penny earned, okay? And so the easiest way to make more money by lowering costs is to hire foreign workers who are willing to settle for cheap wages, very often illegal wages, under conditions that are dangerous, substandard, especially illegal aliens. And and so if you understand how greed drives the motivation for the unscrupulous, it made sense that we had two parties that looked out for both sides of that equation. And America did quite well. America did quite well. Nothing is ever perfect. But when I look at America and I compare it to the rest of the world, there is no country that I'd rather live in than this country, the United States of America. I'm proud to be an American. I owe America my life, my children's lives, and my grandchildren's lives. What I do on this program, what I do when I get up at the ungodly hour at 3 o'clock in the morning to go into a TV studio is a labor of love. It's a labor of love for my family, my children, my neighbor's kids. It's a labor of love for America. And we've become so divided as a country that all that matters to the politicians in both parties is politics. That should never, ever be the case. I guess it's understandable how it could devolve into that. But if you put politics ahead of country, think what happens. If you are not the member of the party that the president of the United States is from, you don't want him to succeed. I don't care if you're a Democrat and there's a Republican president or you're a Republican and there's a Democratic president. What you want more than anything else is for the president of the United States to be an abysmal failure. Why? Because you, as a politician, want to make sure that your guy or your gal becomes president the next time there's an election, if you're willing to wait for the election. Because this is about power overall. No matter what it takes, we're going to win, no matter what it takes. Never mind the idea that we grew up with as kids, at least in my generation. It's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Today, all that matters is winning and beating your opponent, even if your opponent is doing something worthwhile for America. Well, if you're willing to attack a president who is doing good things for a country, then you're not really rooting for the country. You're rooting for your party. 
And I got to tell you, that's un-American. Uh, one of the things that struck me, one of my favorite presidents was Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was amazing. He was the uh, commander-in-chief uh, and supreme commander, in fact, of Allied forces during the Second World War. He put together a coalition of very dissimilar countries. Remember, Russia worked with the United States to defeat the Nazis. Uh, unbelievable what Dwight Eisenhower was able to achieve. D-Day, and we can go on and on. He created the military-industrial complex, geared up America almost overnight to help win the war, and in his last days in office, warned Americans about his own creation, the military-industrial complex. Who could ever forget that speech that he made? And for those of you too young to remember it, and I don't really remember it other than, you know, I was a kid when he was the president, go online and, and, and watch him deliver the speech. Read the words. Because the military-industrial complex had developed a life of its own, looking to sell their hardware at great profit, and, and he was very much concerned about where that was going to lead us. But Dwight Eisenhower thanked parties working with him throughout his eight tenure in the office to help America to the world. Think how many parties stood behind the president, stood behind the government, and said, how do we make America strong? Recover from World War II and really do what's right for America and Americans. We don't see that today, and we haven't seen that too damn long a period of time. More important to the politicians is how I win only my party into power. What damage do I have to do to my opponents? And both parties are in the same disgusting anti-American game. So when President Trump says we're going to put America first, you would think, who could argue? You know, win one for the Gipper. If you were the coach on a basketball team and the coach says, you guys are going to win, people would say, well, of course he's supposed to say that. He's the coach. Donald Trump says, we're going to put Americans first and look at the attacks that he got. Diane Feinstein, uh, who's been in the Senate, seems like forever. She's now a woman in her 80s. Back on, um, I believe it was February the 24th, 1998, two days short of the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993. Let's not forget that attack. Six people were killed. Over a thousand people were injured. There was a half billion dollars in damages inflicted on that once centerpiece of the New York City skyline, my hometown skyline. Uh, by the way, uh, I had a desk at the U.S. Post Office when I, I worked with ATF along with the FBI and DEA and so forth when I was with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. That post office is right across the street from the World Trade Center. I was in that building at least two or three days a week, the World Trade Center complex. There were malls and transportation and banks, and there were office buildings um, that were from the agencies that we worked with conducting our investigations into drug trafficking and related crimes. So here's that magnificent trade center that got hit on February 26, 1993. And two days short of the fifth anniversary, the Senate Judiciary Committee had a hearing on terrorism and how we deal with foreign terrorists in the United States. That was the point of the hearing. It was a Senate hearing, and Feinstein participated in the hearing. And at the hearing, and this is the reason I'm telling you about this, Diane Feinstein made three recommendations, and I want you to think about it. 
and realize there were no demonstrations. This is before 9-11, 1998, three years before 9-11, folks, three and a half years before 9-11. And Dianne Feinstein questioned the wisdom of the favor proposal program. I've I'm a very hard critic of it. I don't think we should have these away program, not post-9-11 world. She at the time said, you know, this notion of the people in the country without first requiring visas is making things worse. For we should start doing this. Also, not visas to alien citizens of countries that sponsor terrorism. So, Pete Feinstein, that we needed to reach the nation providing visas to who were citizens of countries that were sponsor how similar is it to President Trump that we should not be bringing aliens into the United States if we're unable to properly screen them? Nobody fainted. There were no riots. The ACLU didn't stage, you know, mass demonstrations. Everyone kind of said, yeah, maybe she's right. And the final point she made was that we probably certainly shouldn't be giving training to citizens of those countries where the training involves learning about nuclear physics and biochemistry and other areas of study that could help terrorists and America's enemies construct weapons of mass destruction. Nobody fainted. Nobody rioted. Nobody went nuts. Everyone said that's rational. Here we are. After 9-11, the president says, if we can't screen you, we shouldn't let you in. And there's chaos. And what he called a travel ban in reality was an entry restriction. And Donald Trump's biggest problem is he doesn't understand nuance of language. He understands the basic premise that if you want to get people to understand an issue, use as few words as possible. So his um, slogan of make America great again, four words, was highly effective. I had a speech teacher back in college, Tom Lovely, who said we could not sell a product, a service, or a concept if we needed more than 10 words. I would argue 15 words. But Donald Trump won the presidency with four words. And today we're told that those words represent hatred. Make America great again is hatred. This is so twisted that people could listen to that phrase and say, oh, this is terrible. It's terrible that you want America to be as successful as it could be. The army used to have a slogan, be all that you can be. And that's basically what make America great again means, at least to me. Now, maybe you see something different than that phrase, but I don't. And you look at the crisis on the border, and we're told by the Democrats that there's no crisis. I'm not trying to be partisan, but goodness gracious, how could you look at what's going on on the U.S.-Mexican border and not see a crisis? Hundreds of thousands of aliens coming here. Children's lives endangered, adults not surviving the trek. The desert is a dangerous place between the violence of the criminals, the poisonous animals and snakes and insects, 130-degree temperature, no water. There are bodies all over the place. And on top of that, it becomes an opportunity for criminals to come here. You know, people keep saying, and in fact, Governor Newsom apparently is going to be visiting El Salvador. There was an interesting article about it where he had said that he's going to find out why we're getting all these migrants from El Salvador. And, all, and, and the article pointed to all the violence and how people are fleeing the violence. But what no one seems to understand is that among people fleeing violence are the perpetrator of the violence as well. 
people fleeing, not violence, but either their competition. So in a way, they're fleeing violence, but they themselves are violent. And they're fleeing the long arm of the law, commit violent crimes. And then you run to some other country like the United States, where you know you're going to be shielded in sanctuary cities. Now, unlike the talking heads on TV, as I explain this to you, I want you to remember that I spent 30 years enforcing immigration laws. I've arrested people wanted for murder and other crimes in other countries, including Israel. My very first fraud investigation was an investigation into a young man from Israel who had an altered visa. It was a one-time entry visa. He had made this single entry, which rendered the visa no longer valid. He, he or somebody, we never found out, altered the word one to the word two and changed the year of expiration by one year so that the visa appeared to still be valid. He attempted entry. This was 1976. And the inspector picked up on the visa had been altered. They took him into custody and they gave him a choice. You can go back on that airplane right now. Well, we're going to detain you and hold you for an immigration judge and you could speak to the judge. And this kid said, I'm going to talk to the judge. He was about 24 years old. And my boss told me, okay, Mike, here's the story. You're going to take a deposition from this young man. You're going to see what you can learn. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't want to talk to you because we know that the visa was altered. He doesn't have a visa. He needs one, which is why one of the reasons I oppose the visa waiver program. And by the way, today, an alien who commits visa fraud in conjunction with terrorism is looking up to 25 years in jail Aliens who enter under the visa waiver program face no such penalty because he doesn't have a visa or she doesn't have a visa. Well, the long story short, in going through his belongings, I interviewed him. He was in the West Bank, kept calling Israel Palestine. In going through his clothing, I discovered, and this is the short version of it, <clears throat> that there was a pocket sewn inside his shirt. And in the pocket was a schematic of an oil refinery in Israel. He was here, he ultimately admitted, to get the money so that they could purchase explosives and attack the refinery and blow it up. The Israelis became involved with the investigation. We called them in, along with the FBI, and the attack was averted. The Israelis were able to arrest six would-be co-conspirators about a week before the attack was to have taken place. It was my introduction to counterterrorism investigations and to the nexus between immigration and terrorism. Immigration is not a minor issue, but you would never know it to listen to the liars who are the globalists. Oh, the aliens do the work Americans won't do. Really? Let me tell you, there isn't a job an American won't do for a living wage. The expression that gets left out, the aliens do jobs Americans wouldn't do for those ridiculous wages and under conditions that are illegally dangerous. Illegally dangerous. I've read too many accounts and reports that I've seen, official reports, of aliens who lose limbs at work, and if they're lucky, their so-called compassionate boss drops them off three blocks from the emergency room, missing a limb. I've seen things that chilled my, 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 my guts and enraged me beyond words. Women forced to have sex with their bosses if they wanted to continue working in a dress factory. Sweatshops, truly sweatshops. When you read about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire and you hear about these women who were jumping to their deaths just like the Trade Center because the building had caught fire and there was no way out of the building, let me tell you, 
when we had sweatshops. Now they've moved the sweatshops from the United States to Malaysia and other countries. And we, and we always hear the stories, you know. Various celebrities have a line of clothing, and it turns out that their clothing is being made by 10-year-old children in some country in the world. I've been in factories where the doors were shut tighter than a drum. There was no way out. The windows were barely open. There was no air conditioning except the boss's office. I remember one dirtbag who had not one, not two, but three air conditioners going full tilt. You needed to wear a coat in his office. The paneling was two inches thick. The carpeting was three inches thick. He had a built-in television in the wall, a big screen TV. In those days, was rear screen projection. We're talking about the 80s now. He had a bar. He had an office. It looked as though he was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and his employees were working shoulder to shoulder in 110-degree heat during the summer, and the dust and filth were flying everywhere, but his office was immaculate. This is the kind of stuff that goes on. Those are the people that want the illegal aliens so they can accept This isn't an act of compassion. That is not an act of compassion. This is exploitation. It's modern-day slavery. And you take desperate people who do desperate things because they can't eat, they can't afford to feed their children, and they come here and think about what happens. You break up families, you wind up with gangs. Okay? Fish travel in schools, birds travel in flocks, people travel in families. You break up a family, you create an artificial family, it's called a gang. And then you see all this terrible gang violence, and it's spreading around the third world. We're aiding, abetting, and encouraging it because we have this insatiable appetite for cheap labor. So young men come to America, which leads to houses of prostitution, which we used to raid. By the way, we used to work with the NYPD. You want to shut down houses of prostitution? And many of those women were forced into this. They were trafficked here against their wills or conned into becoming prostitutes. We used to raid those hooker houses on Friday nights and Saturday nights. Why? Because that was usually when these guys would show up because they left their girlfriends and their wives back home. So they had what I used to jokingly call the urge to merge. Okay? Suddenly the word was on the street. Never mind the cops raiding those places. Immigration's going to be there, La Migra, as they refer to us. And by the way, not just in the Latino community. We did it with the Russian houses, the Chinese houses of prostitution. I want to be very clear about something. Human nature is human nature. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've arrested the, the bad and the ugly from all over the world. I've arrested Italian mobsters. I've arrested Israeli mobsters. I've arrested criminals from Japan, criminals from Jamaica, Canada, England, and yes, Latin America, and Africa, Canada, because human nature is human nature. You wouldn't know it to read the papers. You wouldn't know it to listen to the nonsense being trotted out there day after day by the lying mainstream media, along with my sort of background. It doesn't have to be me. Maybe they're tired of my old face. I'm tired of my old face. My wife sometimes jokes that she's tired of my old face. So bring on somebody new. And then look at the way DHS was put together by, by our good friend George W. Bush. He took an agency that we knew was behind 9-11 immigration, cut it into little pieces, and blended it with other agencies to make immigration law enforcement all but impossible. 
John Hostetler, who was the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee and the conservative Republican and a man with real chutzpah, real guts and morality at a hearing where I testified. This was May 5th, 2005 on the dual missions of immigration enforcement agencies said that the way the DHS had been put together gave us immigration incoherence and made it impossible to secure the borders and enforce the laws. And when I see people responding to my articles in front page magazine, going crazy, having a field day with dumb Democrats, I want to scream at them. I don't bother responding. I write my articles, do what you will. But goodness, folks, George W. Bush, and I know I'm going to anger a lot of conservatives by saying Ronald Reagan, the man who gave us the visa waiver program to begin with, the man who gave us an amnesty. And I know I'm going to hear people say, well, it was a big mistake. Well, no one, including Bill O'Reilly, who talked about this at length, has ever been, find any, never been able to find anything in writing where, where President Reagan actually said I made a mistake. People who worked for him said that he did. Did he? I don't know what he thought. But let me tell you what is not reported in the news about the Reagan amnesty that gave us almost 4 million aliens legalized who shouldn't have been because we don't even know when these people came here. We were originally told a million would be involved in the program. We wound up with almost 4 million. And no one talks about how many more millions came in once these people were legalized. That's another number that nobody wants to discuss. But the average uh, latest that I saw on average, three to four new immigrants come in per alien that we legalize. So suddenly the almost 4 million becomes what, 10, 12, 15, 18 million? We have no idea what the numbers are. No one's keeping track. Don't ask, don't tell. But there was a provision in the Reagan amnesty of confidentiality so we could not share amnesty files with any other agency. Normally, working at the FBI, working at DEA, working at ATF, I had desks at all those agencies. If the guy working next to me needed an immigration file, I would give him the immigration file. We would easily share the material. By the way, cutting immigration into multiple agencies, you can't even do that anymore. This really did a number on our ability to share information because now each separate entity has control over a portion of the immigration file. There is no longer one file. Here it is. Have a nice day. You have to go to Citizenship and Immigration Services and Customs and Border Protection and ICE to piece this together like a crazy quilt. Again, more roadblocks, more inefficiency, more obstruction of immigration law enforcement. This isn't accidental. Even our politicians can't be that stupid. Okay? This was done with design to throw up every possible roadblock in the way of enforcing immigration laws that are simply designed to keep out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, aliens who are mentally ill, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who have committed fraud in the immigration system or were previously deported, and then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge, or aliens who, if they were to work, would be displacing American workers, unless, of course, they had green cards. But the whole idea was to protect American lives and American jobs for Americans. That's what the laws are about. You wouldn't know it to listen to the news. But with the amnesty files, sir, Reagan spoke to it, that there was information contained in an amnesty file. I committed five-year felony. Lose your job, lose your pension, lose your freedom, go to jail. So if an FBI agent came to me and said, Mike, there's a guy driving through midtown Manhattan, 
He's got a nuclear weapon in the back of his truck. Do you have any photos? I would go through the file. If the only place that the photo existed was in the amnesty file, I was prohibited from giving it to him. If the only place where I had the most recent home address was in the amnesty file, if I gave that to the FBI agent who was chasing a guy with an atom bomb, I would be subject to going before a grand jury and spending five years in jail and losing my ability to support myself and my family. If the guy was a naturalized citizen, we would turn that whole file over. Here it is. Go get him. The amnesty file was sacrosanct. Don't even think of looking beneath that red folder and giving that to some other agency because you're going to jail. Why would you do that? So when people tell me, oh, the lefties, the Democrats, both sides are equally screwed up. Both sides were equally determined to flood America with cheap, exploitable labor. Both sides. It infuriates me when I see this as one side or the other. Now, when I listen to the current bunch of Democrats, that's a whole new ball game. Let's do away with ICE. Wow, it takes my breath away. The 9-11 Commission was crystal clear that a lack of interior enforcement made it possible for terrorists to embed themselves in communities. But you add to that the sanctuary policies. Talk about embedding. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You want to go after human traffickers? Don't tell me you're shielding the immigrants from ICE. They don't need shielding. Immigrants are here legally and got their status from immigration authorities. Last year, for all the talk we hear about Reagan, about President Trump being anti-immigrant, we admitted over 1.1 million lawful immigrants last year under President Trump. Don't tell me that that's anti-immigrant. And I'm not a cheerleader for President Trump. I don't agree with everything he does or says. Some of the things he says are really cringeworthy. I have my issue with it as I do with with just about everybody else, myself included. But this nonsense that this is anti-immigrant is because of the lies that were perpetrated by Jimmy Carter, who said we can no longer use the term alien to describe aliens. Oh, but there is a place where you can use the word alien. Dream Act. The A in Dream Act is alien. So this terrible word that you shouldn't even whisper in private because it's disgusting was actually part of the acronym Dream Act. Think about that. Hypocrisy to be found everywhere. Chuck Schumer said that if people trespass on critical infrastructure or landmarks, we should put them in jail for five years because what they're doing is dangerous. New York doesn't have a felony law like that. In New York, the worst you're facing is a year in jail, and usually they only get a couple of months. And Schumer, on his official Senate website, said they need to go to jail for five years. He even, on his website, noted a 16-year-old boy, and he used those words, 16-year-old boy, who had climbed the Trade Center under construction, the replacement for the towers, and he brought with him a camera to take a selfie, and he said, that kid did something dangerous, and he went on and said, this is Schumer, I don't care if you're an adrenaline junkie or a criminal, if you trespass, you're doing something dangerous, you need to go to jail. You're putting people at risk. I agree, but guess what? The same Chuck Schumer said that when you trespass on America, we should give you citizenship. Because at the very least, entering the United States without inspection constitutes trespassing. You see? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. But both parties are responsible. And by the way, don't tell me that the Republicans agree with ICE. They don't. Now, if I just shocked you, here's why. We have 6,000 ICE agents for the United States of America. 6,000 thousand ICE agents. It's almost 
laughable. Think about the fact we have well over a million members of the armed forces. And by the way, the armed forces have a shared common mission to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. And I don't care if we're talking about the Coast Guard, the Navy, the Marines, the Army, or the Air Force. And we will be adding to that, apparently, a, a space uh, agency. Uh, so, but the point is we're, we're trying to address the threats no matter where they come from to keep America safe. Now, what does that have to do with immigration? Well, up close and in person, the aliens who come to America, the enemy combatants and terrorists, these individuals become the responsibility of immigration law enforcement. Think back to what I said about grounds for excluding aliens. Criminals, terrorists, human rights violators, they're subject to deportation. They're subject to being kept from entering the United States. So we're willing to spend how many billions, hundreds of billions, whatever the numbers are on the military, but the best we can do is 6,000 ICE agents. And let's remember the sea and ICE is customs, which has nothing to do with immigration. In fact, prior to the creation of what I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender, DHS, they called the Department of Homeland Security. I didn't see much security there. Uh, customs was part of the Treasury Department. Immigration was under the Justice Department. The only common factor between immigration and customs was that they were involved with the border. But beyond that, customs was about tariffs and duties and taxation and the control of money and materials from entering the United States. Immigration was all about people. Very big difference. So they blended customs with immigration, and almost all of the bosses who went over to ICE to run the agency came from customs, not immigration. So not only did we cut that agency and slice it and dice it, but we put people in charge who had no immigration background and no inclination to enforce the immigration laws. This wasn't an accident. Not in the least. This was willful by the Bush administration. I'm not shocked that Jeb Bush said that illegal immigration was an act of love. I wrote a piece back then wherein I said that Jeb was looking for love in all the wrong places, okay? This isn't an accident. It's not an accident that you have 6,000 ICE agents, but we have 45,000 people at TSA strip-searching grandmothers and, and little girls who want to get on an airplane after Christmas vacation or after Hanukkah or after Passover or after Easter. Think about that. 45,000 people for TSA. I think that's an accident. I don't. All the talk about Democrats don't want ICE. The Republicans want to create the illusion of ICE without having ICE. Parties are in on it. You want to talk about collusion? And Harvard and MIT have done studies where they say it's probably double that, and I think it's probably four times that. We have enough people to law, so let's legalize them. Really? There are more people who have life than cell phones than there are in the United States. You've never heard of police say there's so many phones and licenses do anything about those folks stupid enough to text driving. Just as you can, you will brick campaign, public services to wake up. This is dangerous and we're gonna do damage to you. You're not gonna have a good day if we find you. It's called deterrence. What Nancy Pelosi calls a climate of fear for the immigrants doesn't involve immigrants, folks. I'm going to give you clarity. The difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. But let's look at some other hypocrisy. 
Um, first of all, I want everybody, after the program, please go to frontpagemag.com, check out my latest article, Immigration Fraud Threatens National Security. The subtitle, Soldiers at Fort Bragg Arrested for Alleged Marriage Fraud Conspiracy. You have soldiers who will go to marry aliens to give them green cards, and guess what would also happen under these conditions? They would have access to the military base. Access to the military base. Have we not had enough insider attacks in the Middle East? where people join the military or the local militias, and when they're being trained with weapons, turn the weapons on their trainers and on the people that were there training with them. We had Fort Hood. We've had other attacks. We know that military bases are a key potential target for terrorists and enemy combatants. Why in the world would, would anyone not think this is serious? But look at the disservice that the media does. There have been movies about people who get married for a green card. There was a movie, in fact, called Green Cards with um, um, the French actor, and I can't think of his name offhand, but uh, it, was, it was a funny movie. There's a more recent movie with Sandra Bullock called The Proposal. I've seen the film. It's nice entertainment, but it's a dangerous movie because it's misleading. The premise, to, to, and I don't want to be a spoiler here, but if, I, I urge you to watch it so you can see how they portray things. They... Um, have a, a movie where the, the idea is Sandra Bullock is a Canadian. She's a publisher of a magazine, and she has a, a guy who works for her. And she says, you're going to marry me because I've been told by immigration that I have to leave the United States. If I marry an American, I can get a green card so I can stay here because I don't want to have to give up my publication. And as you might imagine, it turns into a, a love story, and it's very funny, and it was humorous entertainment. I don't know what to call it. However, there's nothing funny about it. As I noted in my article, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel uh, talked about immigration fraud. I did my very first hearing about immigration fraud back on May 20th, 1997, because of those two terror attacks I talked about at the beginning of my program at the, at the CIA and at the Trade Center, all involved aliens who entered and committed immigration fraud. So here's what the 9-11 Commission had to say, the staff report. The staff report, by the way, is an official report printed by the government printing office and was authored by the federal agents and lawyers who were assigned to work with the 9-11 Commission. This isn't from some supermarket tabloid. I want you to be clear about that. Here's the statement. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, and there we go, you see, achieving temporary worker status, that's DACA, folks, or applying for asylum after entering. Think about the crisis on the border, how many are applying for asylum and then disappearing once they're told that their applications have been denied and the vast majority are denied because they're not eligible. These are scams. This is Bernie Madoff on steroids, but it's not money that's on the line. It's human lives, the future of our country, and consequently the future of our children and our children's children. They go on and say, in many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. 
There's no ambiguity to this, folks. But the movies make this into a comedy. It's a big yuck-yuck. Harrison Ford is in a movie. And it's called Crossing Over. And in it, he plays, uh, you know, an immigration agent. So who are the, the villains in the movie? The immigration agents. The aliens are always the victims. And very often they are, by the way. We are, by allowing illegals to come here and be exploited, propping up corrupt regimes. Mexico has the 15th largest economy in the world. 15th largest economy. Why are there people living in squalor? Because it's an oligarchy. And we are slowly turning America into an oligarchy if we haven't already done it. In fact, there was a professor at Princeton who stated almost 10 years ago that America had gone from being a republic to an oligarchy. This is a grab for money and power on a scale we've never seen before. But I, I, I'm compelled to make a quick point. I wish we had more time. Uh, we're hearing about the measles outbreak, the epidemic, and a lot of it to the Orthodox Jewish community don't want to be inoculated. And God, we've seen that not just now, but throughout history. The geniuses um, who, who are quick to, to scapegoat minorities, whether it's black, white, green, purple, by religion, whatever. Uh, big problem. Big problem. So with all the talk about what's happening in Rockland County, and there was, in fact, an article about it, and I'm, I plan to write a piece, but there have been legal notices now posted throughout Rockland County saying this. If you are under 18 years of age and unvaccinated against measles, you must not, and it's in black underlined font, not enter any public place until Saturday, April 27th, or until you receive the MMR, measles, mumps, rebellion vaccine. If you're found to violate this order, you can be charged with a B misdemeanor that may lead up to a $500 fine and six months in jail. Aliens who enter without inspection may well be carrying diseases, may well not have been vaccinated. Go to Title VIII, United States Section 1182. I was mentioning the elements of excluding aliens, aliens with dangerous diseases, mental illness, and so forth. It's not just having the diseases, aliens who have not been vaccinated. And we hear that the restaurant industry depends on the immigrants, meaning illegal aliens. So I'm going to give you all a little cause for pause. Something to think about when you go out for brunch tomorrow or Sunday. If there are people in the kitchen who are undocumented, perhaps they have diseases, and that's why they snuck in, because they didn't want anyone to see the running noses and the red eyes and so forth. If they're working in the kitchen, I wish you a lot of luck. I hope your immune system is up for the struggle. We have no idea who's working in restaurants. We have no idea who's working in food processing plants. You could also see that as a vulnerability to be exploited by terrorists. From everything I've heard from scientists, it's very hard to poison water in reservoirs because most of the toxins exposed to chlorine and exposed to sunlight will decompose quickly, and water is so much of it, uh, and the processing of the water tends to take a lot of that stuff out. You'd need tanker truck after tanker truck to really poison water. Food, on the other hand, is another story. So when you hear this nonsense, oh, they're doing the work Americans won't do. They've been working in the slaughterhouses. Well, they're driving down wages. The slaughterhouses and food processing pants 15 years ago were paying $20 an hour. They're paying about 7 or $8 an hour now. 
So not only is it not keeping pace with infl- inflation, but the, the, the price has been cut in half. The wages have been cut in half. Is this in America's best interest? Understand the damage that we're doing. This isn't xenophobia, folks. This is common sense. If you're not willing to make a distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens, you're dishonoring our tradition as a welcoming country of immigrants. My mother was an immigrant. My dad's parents were immigrants. My first wife's family, her parents were in the concentration camps. They were in the Holocaust. The families were decimated. They came legally. They were in resettlement camps for years in Italy. They told me the stories about it. And they kissed the ground when they finally got here. I was thrilled to admit refugees at Kennedy Airport. I began my career as an inspector at Kennedy Airport. They waited their turn. They came to America. But we were able to vet them. And back in the 70s, we weren't worried about terrorists embedding themselves among the refugee flows. We did wind up with some criminals. But today we know that the people coming from the Middle Eastern countries that sponsor terrorism, among them are potentially terrorists. We saw it throughout Europe. And we've seen that here, where people that were given asylum became involved in terror attacks. Look at the Tsarnaev family in, in Massachusetts and on uh, April 15th, Patriot's Day, uh, April 15th. Political asylum, and as soon as they got asylum, they went back to Russia. To claim asylum, you're saying incredible never returned without fear. And as soon as them leave, they went back. They and the consequence was back on the marathon. Look, compassion isn't to be suicide. We need to be careful. They've got American lives. We need to be able to take care of our own people. Give charity when your own children to bed as much as we would like. And I want you to think about something. People say we're a big country, we have room for people. But every person who comes here needs food. Think about how much acreage is needed to grow enough food to, to sustain one person. How much water is needed to sustain one person? How much energy is needed to heat the house or cool the house that the person lives in? Transportation, schools, hospitals is a ripple effect. There's a huge ecological footprint that each of us imposes on the country because we need food. We need sewage. We need water. We need power. We need the ability to commute. We need schools. We're a country with stretched resources. Our deficit is running into $22, $23 trillion, and foreign workers are sending money home, not just the illegal aliens, the aliens who commit fraud, get jobs that they're not entitled to have because Americans could do those high-tech jobs. But Alan Greenspan has referred to the high-tech American workers as the privileged elite who he claimed were um, making this wage premium because we're shielding them from foreign competition. What was ignored by the media and the Republicans, when I challenge them, is that the immigration laws are supposed to shield American workers from competition. When they talk about reforming immigration, the reform that they want is to stop shielding American workers from foreign workers. When they tell you that we can't deport all these people, we're going to get them out of the shadows, that's a lie. There's never been money allocated to look for aliens who would not come out of the shadows because they know that they're wanted for serious crimes or criminal history or any of that stuff. If they wanted to get them out of the shadows, I would say, well, that's a good starting point. Let's hire a couple of, uh, let's get agents. You know, ideally, if New York City could have 37,000 cops, let's start out with 50,000 ICE agents and enough judges and support people so that ICE can do its job and be credible. That's never going to happen. 
the reason they want comprehensive reform, folks, is not to get them out of the shadows, but into the waiting rooms of immigration law firms across the country. Bob Goodlatte, who was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, before he came to Congress, was an immigration lawyer who specialized in H-1B visas. He's now no longer in Congress. I wouldn't be shocked if he's back practicing immigration law. Zoe Lofgren, who I believe, I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe she's the chairperson for the House Immigration Subcommittee, is an immigration attorney. Yes, it's good that they have immigration knowledge if they're going to write immigration law, but there's a conflict of interest. There's a conflict of interest. The whole idea that the Republicans and Democrats agree that we've got to give lawful status to illegal aliens by the millions, it means no interviews, no field investigations. Go back to what the 9-11 Commission warned about that I just read to you. If we don't know who they are and we give them lawful status and we can't even verify their identities, we're setting ourselves up for the next terror attack. After 9-11, I can't remember how many times the politicians would get before the microphone, get before the cameras, thump the podium, and demand to know why no one connected the dots. If you go to my articles at the front page, go to my articles at the social contract, you will see the dots have been connected in hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing. I've testified before 17 hearings myself in the House and Senate. The dots have been connected, and now they're ignoring those dots. They're ignoring the dots because they are pandering to the people that write the campaign checks that are nothing more than bribes. That's why we have a problem. And that's why I do this program. The whole point of this exercise is to educate you as to the way that we are being put at risk by people that we elected to represent us, represent our nation, represent our children, our grandchildren, and the people who are close to us. Those politicians are our employees, and they are being insubordinate, both political parties. If you wonder the fervor against much of what Donald Trump wants to do, it starts with the word sovereignty. Donald Trump has always talked about sovereignty, even talking about it when he went to the U.N. I don't know of too many people in Congress or in local or state governments who believe in sovereignty but believe in globalism, which means open borders, which would, in essence, take down America's shields at a very perilous time in the history of our nation. Please get involved, folks. Please share what you hear on my program and my writings with as many people as you can. And and please be involved. You know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. We as Americans have an obligation to our families and to our nation to please make a difference. Um, And that's your homework assignment for the weekend. I thank you for joining me. I hope you found the program to be interesting. And if so, I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, I wish you all a wonderful weekend. So long.